February greetings, everyone. Uh, February greetings? What the fuck sort of intro is that? No one says February greetings, do they? Um, no, you're setting trends, though. Yeah. As always. Well, February greetings, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to uh, the Bitch and Brew... Uh, bitch and Brew... <laughs> I've fucked this already. Should we start again? No, let's fuck it. Let's keep it going. <laughs> Welcome to the Bitch and Review, episode number one, but really episode number two. Confusing, right? Good. Um, <laughs> this is I episode. Well confused by now. <laughs> um, this is episode number one. Technically, the last one we did was episode number zero, so it doesn't count. It's absolutely worthless. Um, but this is the Bitchin Review. It's a new music review show brought to you by the Bitchin Brew Podcast. Uh, I am Danny Randon, but you may call me the Pod Daddy. <laughs> I oh I made myself feel a little sick just by saying that. I hate it when it's, people use the word daddy. It's like my that. fault to be honest. I came up with this nickname. Yeah. Um I don't I can't remember when actually but No. It, it was it was <laughs> over for it. And now I've kind of cottoned onto it. I to be fair, I, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I berate she's probably listening to this, my friend Sarah. Um she refers to um oh, you're obviously gonna know who this is, the WWE wrestler Trent Seven. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love making wrestling references that I know you're not going to fucking get. We found our niche. Yeah, I berate my friend Sarah, uh, Trent, Trent Seven. He's um he's like in his mid-thirties now, and he's not exactly like ripped, but he's still a big guy, and he's kind of got the silver fox thing going on, and she just calls him Daddy Trent all the time. I'm just like, oh, it's just a bit weird. <laughs> so I feel like a bit of a hypocrite for using the... Uh, Pod Daddy. Pod Daddy. Have you ever been referred to as Daddy Randon? <laughs> no, <Okay>. no, I haven't. <laughs> No, no, I wish I'd had... I mean, I would have preferred that in secondary school, to be fair. I just got random in secondary school. All right, random. Like, fucking... Could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. Did you... What were your... um, I bet you had loads of people singing, like, I'm thorny, I'm thorny, thorny, thorny. I actually never had that. No? Never had that. I mean... I used to have um, hearing aids and stuff at school, so people just used to shout in my face. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that, but... Oh, fuck, so you don't have hearing aids now, obviously. No, no, but... (laughs) Oh, um, well, of course I'm not alone. Uh, I am here with the... Well, I suppose you're the pod creepy uncle to my my pod daddy. Uncle Brad. (laughs) Uncle Brad Thorne, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. It's been... I mean, I was just thinking on the way over here... You know, obviously, thank you to everyone for checking out episode zero. I think it's fair to say that we, we had a blast doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so we thought we'd keep this going for a monthly basis, is the plan mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, wonder how long it's going to take us to fuck that up. But um, it has been a fucking hectic start to the year, hasn't it? Um, in terms of albums and and... And live music, yeah, yeah we've really hit the ground running. I think live music, live music is kind of expected anyway, because you always get the tours mm-hmm. at the start of the year and at the end of the year because festivals and blah blah blah. Yeah, but um, yeah, certainly albums wise, I always feel like January is one of those years where you can actually just spend a lot of time playing catch up on albums that you yeah. missed the year before. But there was a fucking shit ton of albums coming out. It was actually really hard to whittle it down to the eight that we've picked today. Definitely, and it feels like some of these albums we might still be talking about if um hopefully we will do a kind of end of year roundup or something yeah yeah we'll probably for sure. still be talking about some of these albums that have come out right at the start of the year because there's some real interesting yeah. pieces 
Well, for this episode, we are going to be talking about some of the the notable music releases from January. Um, we figured eight releases is probably like a good amount to talk about mm-hmm. um, each uh, each month. So we will be talking about the debut album from FIFA Three Three Three. I was kind of expecting a like a slightly panto. Um, uh, The not so debut album from Bring Me the Horizon. (laughs) I didn't ask for ghosts, mate. Like (laughs) you're like the shittiest haunted house actor ever. (laughs) (laughs) We're like put the sheets on our head, like um, uh, Alec Baldwin and um, oh, what's her name, Gina Davis in Beetlejuice when they tried (laughs) to be ghosts. Um, We'll also be talking about the debut album from Puppy. The, you nearly did it again. again. No, we're not doing it now. All right. The debut album from Puppy, the debut EP from A.A. Williams, uh, the debut album, for, well, fucking lot of debuts. Yeah. The debut album from Press Club, um, the not debut album from Pedro the Lion, mm-hmm. the not debut album from uh, The Twilight Sad, and the definitely not debut album. Uh, from Weezer. Uh, I've been so excited to talk about that one. Um, we're also going to be talking about a shit ton of shows because, as we said earlier, it has been a bit of a mental start of the year for live music. So I went, I'm just counting here, I went to two shows. You went to five shows? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, the first one of the year, I'm very jealous that you went to it. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it because it was my mum's 50th birthday party. Uh, spent a lovely evening in Horsham watching a sort of four four vocalists do uh, like a, a backing track tribute to 70s glam rock. <laughs> and the lead singer, he was wearing a, a, like an outrageously tight... Fuck you, sorry. You went to go and see Architects. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, at Wembley Arena, Wembley Arena. their biggest yeah. ever headline show, mm-hmm. certainly in the UK. Yeah. If not... I think probably ever... Yeah, I mean, I think... Certainly outside of festivals, I would have thought. I think they played somewhere in Hamburg the other day, which might have been around the same size or a little bit bigger. But at the time... At the time, yeah, sure. Well, definitely their biggest UK headline Mm -hmm. show. Yeah. Um, Did you see any of Polaris? I did, I saw all of them. Okay. Um, I don't really know anything about Polaris. Me neither, and nor nor did I when I turned up. Um, But they... I was really impressed... I think it's no easy thing to open a show that big, um, especially when you've got a band like Beartooth coming on after. Yeah. Um, I think they really rose to the occasion. Okay. They sounded great. They had a real energetic, kind of captivating frontman. Yeah. Um, and the crowd was really there for it as well. It was pretty packed. Are they Australian? Yes, Polaris. I believe okay. so, yeah. And what, what, I've, I've not listened to them, so are they in a, I assume they're in a similar vein to sort of Architects and, yeah, I suppose it, it's weird putting Architects and Beartooth in the same bracket, but, mm, are, are they, they are they more melodic? Far more on Architects. Okay. Side of the fence than Beartooth. Um, not too melodic, it's, it sounded live like fairly kind of run-of-the-mill metalcore but but good mm. i think you say run-of-the-mill metalcore and it doesn't no have the most positive connotations yeah um i believe they're a bit more technical on okay. record yeah so it's a bit like um oh who did i see open up the main stage of download what is their fucking name north lane yeah i'd say that's a, yeah a again another australian point. band yeah um, okay, well, I'll have to go and uh, check them Yeah, out. it was definitely very promising. Okay. 
Uh, did you see Beartooth? Yeah, um, not. I'm not a massive fan. Okay, I don't know if you are. Much um, prefer them live than on re- the record. Like, I think the first record is ace. Yeah, I think yeah, first record really ace. But um, since then, they've not really done anything for me on no. record. But they've always been thoroughly entertaining live. Yeah, and um, I would I would echo that. Um, they have some more kind of radio rock sounding things. Okay, yeah, clearly. Um, which work in an arena. Yeah. Um, and again, there was there was a lot of people there clearly lapping it up. Yeah, I heard that the place kind of went off for them. Yeah, it, it really did. And he's very he's got a very commanding stage presence. Yeah, Caleb Shoma, I think is is I I think he's a sensational frontman. It really has become one. Certainly yeah. since the days of Attack Attack. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to believe that he was even involved with oh, that. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Um, So, Architects. Yeah. Um, So, I've been to Architects, kind of, all the big London shows they played Mm. prior to this, when they did Brixton, and then they stepped up to Alexandra Palace. Yeah. I haven't seen any of these shows. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Architects, actually. It's been a long, long time since I've seen Architects. I think, actually, the last time I saw them may have been around, um, like, Daybreaker. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's been a long, old time. Mm. Um, not out of choice. <laughs> Just never been able to make the shows. Yeah. This show was... Um, it felt like maybe the first... Not that they ever had anything to prove, but it it felt like there was no questions around what it would be like, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, when they played Brixton, it was a very emotionally raw time for them and their fans. When they played Alexandra Palace, I don't think they'd ever played a venue that big. Mm. Um this time it was very much seemed like business as, as usual for them playing somewhere like that and they, they really it was quite a kind of slick kind of professional okay. arena show I think um, for the last kind of two London shows I've seen Dan's come out from behind the drum kit towards the end mm-hmm. and done a very kind of heartfelt emotional speech Yeah. Um, he didn't do that this time I suppose interesting there was that couldn't have gone on forever, you know? Yeah, it looked, that makes it sound like, uh, you know, because obviously I think it's going to hang over you for a long old time mm. and, and, and Holy Hell was kind of their, their tribute to Tom, but this kind of indicates, you know, uh, about not dwelling on the past because I don't think, you know, Tom, um, rest in power, would have um, would have wanted them to dwell. Mm. I think he wanted would have wanted them to always be looking forward. Yeah. Um, which is what I think this this gig really felt like. Mm. Them kind of this was just kind of cementing their status as one of the biggest metal bands in the in the world at the right. moment. I'd say you know um, certainly of the kind of new school. Mm. Um, the new stuff sounds amazing live. Yeah, I am desperate here. Things like um, it's probably the biggest sound. Yeah, I think death heard. death is not defeat and and uh, hereafter especially. Yeah would be very very excited to see how those songs sound live yeah um if memory serves they opened with death is not defeat and well it, that seems pretty yeah, appropriate was, yeah it um it was just insane um they also kind of introduced um they did these colors don't run i think that's about as far back as they went oh okay um, sam introduced that as here's an old song which which wow. made me feel very old yeah I but mean, it's about eight years old now that song that's fucking crazy <laughs> God, I'm old. <laughs> uh, but no, it was amazing. It, it's always amazing when I'm 
How, how did it... Uh, not to sort of, you know, compare... Well, mm-hmm. actually, no, fuck it. To compare shows. <laughs> how did it compare to kind of like those last sort of milestone London shows for them? To Ali Pali um, and to Brixton? I think Brixton has an unusual place... Definitely in my gig going history, I don't think I'm not entirely sure I'll ever see another gig like that mm. in terms of just the raw emotion. Yeah, you know there was a kind of a palpable emotion in the room that night. Alexandra Palace, I dare say I enjoyed Alexandra Palace slightly more. They had While She Sleeps as main support, which yeah. felt like a really amazing kind of British metal mm. metalcore package. Um, but that it's um, a hair's breadth between the two of them, I'd say. Right, OK. Um, speaking of bands that belong at the top of bills and in arenas, um, we both technically went to see Enter Shikari. Mm-hmm. I say technically because I actually fucked off after watching Black Peaks uh, <laughs> open the show. I'd seen so I'd seen the Enter Shikari show in Portsmouth. That's mm-hmm. where I recorded the podcast with Raoul, and the show was fantastic. Yeah. I really, really loved it. Um I, I love. I, I don't think I've ever seen a Shikari do a bad show. No. Um, and what I especially loved about this show uh, was uh, it's probably the closest thing we would have got to a uh, a Common Dreads retrospective because they did uh, take to the skies. Yeah. Um, celebration gig at Slam Dunk, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, it's been ten years since Common Dreads, and. Um, and so I thought, oh, we might get some Common Dread shows. It's actually my favourite Enter Shikari album. Really? Unpo- pop- unpopular opinion. It really is, um, yeah. It's... But to hear some of the some of the sort of um, deep cuts from Common Dreads being played live in Portsmouth at the end of last year was, was fucking wicked. And to mm-hmm. see it in, speaking in Enter Shikari sort of terms, an intimate venue. Yeah. Um, so they came to the Southampton Guildhall mm-hmm. um, like I said Black Peaks opened the show Friends of the Podcast yeah. um, I mean it's just a bit scary how good they're getting live now isn't it it, it really is yeah um, I think they so last time I saw them was headlining the cave stage at 2000 Trees mm-hmm. um, and I think they've all grown as musicians which yeah. again is scary when you consider. I think they've always been a great live band. Mm-hmm. They've and they're they're getting to that point now where they're a special band, especially you know a special British band. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get all like uh, you know, Brexity about this, <laughs> but you know, seeing bands like Black Peaks makes you really proud to be British. I yeah, think. it really, really does. Um, and we need something to be proud of <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Um, but I think the member who, who has grown the most is is their vocalist, Will Gardner. Um, he's always been sort of sonically terrifying. Superhuman. Do you remember I kind of looked at you and just sort of went, fucking yeah. hell, when he did that. I mean, I did that a lot during their set. <laughs> but that opening scream on Eternal Light. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to impersonate it, but... <laughs> And I think I turned to you and said, does this sound more like Mastodon than Mastodon did a few weeks ago? I think it's slightly different, and I think it's worth saying that Black Peak set was maybe slightly different to the one they played in the cave, and it feels like they're really great at adapting to opening up a show, yeah. like an Enter Shikari show, mm-hmm. or playing a real kind of more spacious yeah. kind of headlinery set. Yeah. Um, they've become really good at both. Yeah, I, really definitely. And what I was saying about Will, you know, he's always been a great vocalist, and, you know, he's only improving, but also I think he's... 
uh, his skill set and his sort of stage presence has evolved. Yeah. Because I think he used to run around the stage a bit, then put the mic on the stand and do the arms, arms yeah. out like the Christ pose. Yeah. Um, he's doing so much more than that now. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually quite menacing on stage yeah. at times. I think, fucking hell, that guy's going to put me through a table or something, <laughs> like Bubba Ray Dudley. Um, but um, yeah, I I thought they were fucking brilliant and. Really, I thought their set was too short. Oh, it was much too short. I was short. intrigued to, that they didn't play home. I think that goes back to maybe... Um, I mean, obviously, I don't know. But maybe perhaps goes back to maybe playing some of their faster, yeah. heavier but material. then they ended the set on The Midnight Sun, which is not a mm. single from the record. It's an album track. I mean, it's a fucking brilliant track at that, but it's nearly seven minutes long. And yeah, I thought, that is really, really bold, but mm. really excellent all the same. Um, I, I just want to go ahead and see Black Peaks because uh, their headline tour stopped in Portsmouth on a night that I was working. So I was pretty fucking gutted yeah, about that yeah. Um, but yeah so Black Peaks Long Bay they continue to be fucking excellent um, unlike Black Peaks well I don't know I haven't seen this so we're going to keep this short because I think yeah. otherwise I might blow my top a little bit but um, no one wants to see that no <laughs> <laughs> um, Palais Royale yeah um, uh, peek behind the scenes you asked me the other night how Palais Royale were yeah. after you left and I kind of said what I'm going to say now, which is, it, I can't honestly sit here and say oh, it was really, really bad. No. Uh, uh, because it was sort of fine, you know. Yeah. It was a, it was a kind of, it sounded good. It was quite a slick kind of rock. Yeah. Set. To to give a little bit of background, because I think this has been covered quite heavily. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think we need to go into the the sort of gory details of the fact <laughs> that they've been dicks on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I just, I look at a band like Palo Royale and I listen to them and I just, you know, I read their press releases and what they're kind of promoting mm. and everything just fucking stinks of industry. Yeah, and even the the, the live show does, it, you know, it was almost kind of so, I, I suppose, polished. Yeah. Um, that it had that whole feel. They're not a band that I care for Reminds Reminds me almost of like a mix between... Uh, as much as I love a Fever You Can't Sweat Out by Panic at the Disco, <laughs> reminds me of a mixture of that and the Towers of London. Do you remember them? I know of them. I, I can't say that yeah. I particularly remember them. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, best left that way, to be honest. Yeah, and it all kind of sounded like one long song to yeah. me. Um, I, I, I said to you, I, I went for a pee in the middle of their set. I, I couldn't squeeze out a poo, but I would have done. <laughs> If I could, um, <laughs> I think you said you went for a twelve-minute pee or something. <laughs> Just like I don't want to go back in there. I don't want to go back in there. Uh, don't and when I go came back, back in there. It, it sounded like they were playing the same song. There wasn't really any change of pace or anything. Was the turnout for them good? Because there's been a yeah. lot of stuff on the internet about a lot of Palais fans turning up, and equally a lot of people turning up and giving the Palais fans shit. Which yeah. you know, as much as I dislike. Palais Royale. Yeah, there's no need to. There's to there's that. no need to be a dick to fans at all, unless no. they're being dicks to you. Then you know. Self defence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Allegedly. The, no. <laughs> was it? Yeah, there was loads of people, okay. and um, they seemed to go down really well. Which I thought it, it was a really odd support for mm. and Shikari, and they they take out mismatched support quite often I saw the Wonder Years as main support for Shikari a few years ago yeah yeah um, I've and seen... that worked a lot better it feels like they have 
opposing ideals, mm. you know. Uh, Palo and Shakara, they, f- they feel like two different sides of the... Yeah, which is interesting. At least they want to, you know, kind of keep good-goers yeah. on their toes, you know. It's not, not much point taking out the same sort of crossover... No, very true. Yeah. ...genre-mashing bands that are doing a similar thing to... A similar thing to Enter Shikari. <laughs> a similar thing to a one-of-a-kind band like Enter I see Shikari. what you mean, that they could take out... Crossfaith or someone like that. Well, exactly, and and they probably will at mm. some point. I don't know if they have already, and it will be a great show. But you know, I'd rather it's a variety show. It the end interesting, of that. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and Shikari. I mean, yeah, and Shikari, they're just great, aren't they? They're just. Well, I, yes, I can <laughs> confirm that they are great. Um, live, especially that, like you said, I don't think I've ever seen them be bad live. They've. They've done different sorts of shows. If you see them on in the daytime on Reading Main Stage, it's going to be totally different to mm. inside a venue or something. This was, um, for anyone that saw them at 2000 Trees, you saw them at 2000 Trees. I did. Festival headline. Yeah, I thought they were great. It's a very similar set. Yes, it was um, production-wise, mm. more or less the same. Um, and a very, very similar set. Um, it's hard to kind of put into an Enter Live. There was, you're right, there was a lot of common dreads. Yeah, material thrown in, chop, kind of chopped up and mixed in with other songs, like as is their want to do, mm. that kind of thing. It was nice to hear some of those songs. I never saw them live on the Common Dreads cycle originally, yeah. either. So it was nice to um, to see some of those songs. I um, I so when I saw them in Portsmouth, I did. You know, when when bands who are typically playing arenas, because they play Alexandra Palace on a regular mm-hmm. basis, you know, nine, ten thousand cap venues. So to see them play like a, a one a one thousand or a fifteen hundred cap venue, um, it's really nice to see how they can adapt their stage show to actually sort of squeeze it into to a venue that sort of intimate by their standards. Yeah. And and actually, you know. Um, not feel like they're just putting an arena production on a stage and it's messy and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of fighting for space on stage. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 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 doing the same they're playing it like it's an arena and I guess this was yeah. kind of discussed on my chat with Rao about that sort of that life force of a crowd and of a show mm-hmm. uh being the same uh you know kind of existing in the same way whatever kind of uh capacity venue you play. So yeah. um, I think that's something I've always respected about Shikari and the fact that they can go back to those smaller yeah, venues they've ended up uh, with on a, a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they've ended up, I think, with a really nice varied set in terms of material. Oh, that for you've sure. Got some of the more straightforward material from, from the Spark and some of the more hectic yeah. material from their older albums. I, and... Yeah, I fucking love hearing things like um, Undercover Agents and... Uh, yeah. Shinrin Yoku. I mean, because was the spark a grower for you? Yeah, it, yeah, it really was. Yeah. I, um, I wasn't a hundred percent on it. I think every Shikari album has perhaps been a grower. Really? Because well, I maybe think the first. Well, I think the spark has been the least immediate mm-hmm. of the lot. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, I I do like um, the fact that Ralph said it was almost like their post punk moment. Yeah. Um, for sure. But uh, yeah. So um, Enter Shikari fucking great predictably yep. and doing loads of shows still yeah. um, and they're going to be at Download Festival they're doing four sets across Reading weekend yeah uh, you've got to think that one of them's probably going to be headlining the 
cave slash lock up stage. Mm-hmm. One of them's probably going to be on the main stage. I'd imagine one of them's going to be in the dance tent. They might do like a Shikari sound system sort of thing. Someone said to me, uh, "Do you think they'll do Common Dread in full? Perhaps in one Mate. of the lower stages." May it seems possible. Uh, it definitely seems likely. I'd love that. Yeah, that Common Dreads in full. So yeah, I uh, as I mentioned, I've I fucked off after Black Peaks is set. I picked up a vinyl mm. of um, <laughs> of uh, All That Divides, um, of course, and it sounds lovely, lovely white vinyl. Ooh. Yeah, nice. Uh, and I hopped in a cab uh, because I couldn't possibly miss um, Milk Teeth playing the Southampton Joiners mm. for Independent Venue Week. Um, now, Milk Teeth, I mean, friends of the podcast, obviously. Mm. Uh, one of the first guests we ever had on there, and, and people I'm, I'm proud to call my friends, but I can always kind of, you know, be unbiased mm-hmm. in, in my view of them. I think they are one of the best young British bands of this decade. Uh, you know, uh, along along with bands like Creeper, and and a band we'll be talking about in a bit actually, mm. um, and I think it is always a joy to watch them live, which makes you know I say always it kind of made me very sad uh, to see them supporting Enter Shikari back in December, and see them be less than great. Oh. For the first time, mm. um, a little bit of context. Um, I think it was a bit of a a tough crowd, and their um, Ollie, their drummer, got pretty riled up, understandably, about the fact that there were um, guys doing cocaine in the pit around families and stuff. I mean, that yeah. shit's just yeah, not that's on. It's not really cool. Um, and um, and also, M wasn't playing that night. M had taken some time off okay. uh, after being on the road for pretty much three months straight. Mm. Understandable. Yeah, well deserved. And they had someone uh, depping for her on, on guitar uh, and vocals. Uh, so nothing really kind of locked in. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was really through any fault of their own. I think they tried. Mm-hmm. And they were good, but it just didn't have that that big rush of energy that you get from a Milk Teeth set. So, you know, I was still ex- excited to finally see them playing, mm-hmm. um, especially having not seen them play with M yet since uh, she became a full-time member of the band uh, around autumn last year. Um, and this show, oh boy, <laughs> it made up for it in spades. Um, as soon as uh, they had Michael Bolton playing over the PA before they came <laughs> on, um, I knew that it was going to be good fun. I knew that everything was going to be all right. And um, I think what I saw was Milk Teeth just learning to love being a band again. Yeah. Because they had a bit of a rough year last year. It was year. a very turbulent yeah. time for them. I think yeah. a lot of us were wondering, oh, God, what's going to happen to Milk Teeth? We mm-hmm. may not even have Milk Teeth this time next year. Yeah. They've stuck around, and I think they're getting back on their feet now and learning what it is to be a band in a tight unit again. I think there's a really infectious chemistry on stage between all three of them. Cool. Perhaps more of a chemistry than you got when they were a four-piece. Mm-hmm. Um, with two other, uh, you know, with two different members, um, especially with M, just being M and being really sort of naturally funny. I, I think the best thing about it was that we still, I don't think we have the finished product yet. Um, you know, I know that would be a lot to ask a band who's had a big old lineup change yeah. um, last year, but I, I think they are, like I said, just learning to, you know, love being milk teeth mm-hmm. again um 
and I'm really, really excited to hear new material from them. Yeah. Um, hearing them play Stain, which I think definitely... I I think it has a shout to be their best song ever. I think it's a yeah. mixture between that and I Stabbed You First mm-hmm. to be one of the best... Uh, they're definitely one of the best songs they've ever written. Yeah, I'd agree. It's uh, such a statement. Oh, it's well. and it's going punk again, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because they, yeah. they went... They they were punk on the two the Be Nice and the Go Away EPs, but mm-hmm. you know their their mission was to be the loudest pop band on the planet. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like they're going back in the other direction now and trying to get some of that grit back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played another new song called Flowers, which was like Dookie era Green Day vibes all over. Right. It's fantastic. So yeah, and three pieces. They're just well, we'll be discussing a few of them in it's a bit. The magic they, number. They're just cool. <laughs> so yeah, Milk Teeth at the Joiners was a super good time. Speaking of the Joiners, you went to go and see Drug Church. I was yeah. kind of got to miss this show as well because I really liked that Drug Church album. It was in your top twenty of the year. A mm-hmm. um, little bit about Single Mothers. Did you see them at all? Yeah, I'm not hugely familiar with them. I've seen them live once, and I've really not gone in their back catalogue, but I, I really should. Cause... I like what I've heard. Mm. Um, I like what I saw live. Really energetic. I mean, this was a rowdy gig. I've not seen the joiners get that rowdy. Oh, really? For quite a while. Yeah. Um, And Single Mothers uh, really kind of kicked that off. Okay. They were really great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And so Drug Church. Mm-hmm. Um, Drug Church, it kind of becomes a hardcore show when you see it live. Okay. And um, a lot of the... When we talked about the album on your Albums of the Year podcast, we talked about... Go, those... go and listen now. <laughs> Stop this. Go and listen. All four hours of it. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about the kind of the Cure-esque guitars. Yeah. Some of the maybe Pixies influence. Mm-hmm. A lot of that gets lost live, not for, not in a bad way. Mm. You know, they just ratchet up the energy. Yeah. They play it all a bit faster. And the place got very, very rowdy. Mm. Their frontman, um, Patrick. Patrick? Yeah. um, Patrick, Patrick is... Patrick Patrick. (laughs) He's only got one name. He's like (laughs) Prince or Seal or Dido. (laughs) His surname escapes me. Apologies. Um, he's really great, and he was very funny. Um, at one point, he shook a guy's hand in the crowd, and he said, uh, "If we were a metalcore band, that would have cost you a tenner or something like that." Which is <laughs> <laughs> just really funny. Probably would have cost more than a tenner. Um, if, if we were Palais Royale. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop slagging them off. Um, oh, no, I'll stop slagging them off when they stop being tossers. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was stage dive central. Okay. Um, towards the end, uh, the mic broke. Um, oh, wow. But, you know, when you're having that much fun, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, the mic broke and I couldn't hear the vocals. Yeah. Because uh, it was just a fucking really good time. Oh, awesome. Shout out Drug Church. It's, it's cool to hear that they go more punk and more hardcore mm-hmm. with this. It's a bit like when we saw Culture Abuse. It's very much like that. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I think that was probably the last time I saw it because Milk Teeth it, it was it was busy but it wasn't like packed to the rafters like it has been before I think when you've got Enter Shikari 
playing just that yeah you know, it's, it's some rubbish clash, clash yeah. yeah yeah I was pretty pretty gutted to not go and see that in Shikari show twice <laughs> um, so final gig we're gonna oh actually no we've got two more gigs to talk about sorry um, we both went to go and see Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes mm-hmm. um, we saw Black um, so Black Futures um, I they were definitely going into this year quite a buzz band really yeah I think so they'd signed to Music for Nations and I'd heard lots about their live shows being these almost obscure art installations where they have mm-hmm. people with boiler suits in the crowd kind of uh, doing choreographed uh, yeah. routines and uh, like moving members of the crowd to stand in certain places mm-hmm. um, so going into this uh, having not actually listened to Black Futures and just heard stuff about their shows on other podcasts and that um, I was really intrigued to see how they were, and I, I, um, I really fucking loved them. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's, their set has really stuck with me. I've actually gone back and listened to. They've just got singles on Spotify yeah. at the moment. I think they're probably due a release at some point this year. Mm-hmm. Um, not done my research, sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, they did have people in boiler suits on stage. Um, not necessarily doing the sort of moving people around in the crowd. But I they, saw them dancing with people. At yeah, one point. that that they kind of did some uh, choreographed moves on stage, mm-hmm. and then they kind of went into the crowd and just yeah. sort of danced about for a bit yeah and then the crowd got involved with them i thought the crowd was pretty hot for them um but it's like just to talk about the music i suppose it's like a sort of space rock mix of nine inch nails when they're at their most upbeat Mm -hmm. um the prodigy yeah Uh, i would say there's maybe a little bit of royal blood in there I don't know whether I'm yeah. saying that just because they're sort of a, a two-piece. Maybe but more Death From Above. Death From Above or like Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although they're not a duo, obviously. But no. it does have that very slick mm-hmm. rock and roll vibe to it, especially with the with the guitarist and synth player. His name, unfortunately, I don't have written down. But um, And, um, yeah, tons of energy. Yeah. I think what I'd like to see from... I'd definitely go and see Black Futures again. I've got my eye on them for sure. Yeah. Um, what I would like to see from their set is is to continue that concept even further mm-hmm. and just have a whole show where it's so strict on the concept and strict on, you know, focuses really hard on the performance sure. and kind of ups the production. Because I think towards the end of their set, they kind of became a little bit looser and a little bit, they started interacting with the crowd. And yeah. as much as I love crowd interaction at a show, I think it would be really cool if they were just these sort of weird uh, space age otherworldly characters on stage that didn't talk and I mean that might not be what they have planned but I think I'd really like to see them take the concept further the concept's definitely something that makes them quite a unique proposition especially live Mm. I think for me it it also lacked songs okay Um, which I've had a couple of their songs in my head for days they've got some really great songs on Spotify if you if yeah. you go and check them out live uh, I know they ended on one the name escapes me the big one on Spotify okay and that was kind of the only trance time. is it trance yeah yeah yes yeah. um that was the only time that I was watching them live I was like oh this song's yeah. great and it stuck with me not that it was you know it was great it was mm. a really great live show but as they acquire more songs in their catalog it'll probably only get better yeah for sure so black futures we both definitely Keeping a tab open on them, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Now, uh, it's the first time seeing Frank in about half a year, actually. Mm-hmm. I saw them open for uh, the Foo Fighters. Sorry. 
Foo Fighters. Um, my best Christopher Walken impression for you. Um, at the Olympic Stadium. And um, I saw there that they could be a stadium band. Mm. And, you know, Frank could still come out and be the, the Frank Carter that we know and love. Mm-hmm. But instead, this time, he's in, like, a fur jacket and colourful Gucci trousers. But he's do, still doing headstands on the audience. Um, I think... Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, because that's what it is at this point. It's not the Frank Carter show. No. It really is the Rattlesnakes. Yeah. I think the rhythm section is so cool, with Gareth on drums, Mitch on bass, um, and especially Dean. You know, Dean really becomes something of a, a sort of a modern day... I hate, kind of hate using the word quite often, but like a proper rock star. Yeah. When he's doing like the guitar solos on Trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Frank is still obviously the star of the show. Um, but I think what Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes show is that punk rock doesn't have to be three chords and the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It ca- You can be larger than life in your onstage presence and still be punk rock, I think. You know, it doesn't have to be down and dirty and gritty and yeah. sort of hashtag relatable all the time. Um, I mean, from the get-go, Frank was just an aggy little twat, <laughs> but an absolute superstar. I mm-hmm. thought they were fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, but I think also it's... Um, you say that um, about the relatability. I think that is something that Frank's kind of grown to have as he's grown a bit older and if you go back to the gallows days where he's this kind of terrifying oh yeah god kind of menacing demon man he was terrifying back yeah. in the gallows days oh god um, yeah it was probably a, a stage persona mm. pure love he was kind of this kind of swaggering rock and roll excess guy yeah um it feels like frank Carter and rattlesnakes he is much more human and he did some really great speeches about it being a safe space I would, and, yeah, um, some quite re- reflective things, and I think that's a really great thing. It seems like you know he he kind of said it himself. They've got a new album out in May called "The End of Suffering," mm-hmm. and it's kind of written around the two sort of lowest years of his life. He did a lot of um, a lot of very raw and very personal speeches about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, played a lot of new songs um, and kind of said, "I want you to." I want you to take these songs. If you ever been down, if you ever been defeated, I want you to to take these songs and kind of, you know, I am very much paraphrasing here because I've had a couple of beers. <laughs> um, but um, he said, take strength from them. Take basically. strength yeah. from them. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say kind of run with them, but uh, take strength from them. Thank you. Um, and I thought that was really special. And what you were saying earlier about the the safe space, I, I took my other half long because she's a a Frank Carter fan. Mm-hmm. She's a Rattlesnakes fan. Um, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen them do it at their shows before, but where they encourage the women to to crowd surf, or the women to crowd surf, and for the men not to be absolute dicks. Um, so you know, that actually gave her the courage to to crowd surf for the first time. She mm. fucking loved it. Did she crowd surf? Yeah, I she did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely, absolutely loved it, and. Um, uh, I think you know it, it meant a lot to to her and to a lot of the women in the room for Frank to be that guy to go. This should be a safe space for you. Yeah, a lot of people are doing it. Obviously, he's not alone in doing that. It's and... testament to his ability to control a crowd mm. that that he can do that and 
and it actually be a mm. safe space and no dickheads going to come out and, yeah. and test that. And also that he played four new songs, maybe even more. Well, five if you include the fact that he played Crowbar twice, <laughs> which was fucking batshit, honestly. <laughs> like, if you go to a show, let's say, you know, I mentioned them earlier, let's say Royal Blood, mm-hmm. and they played Little Monster twice. I think people would be a bit funny about it. I think there are people in He's... the audience who would definitely love to hear Little Monster twice in the night but there would be some people definitely like okay this is a bit weird Frank played Crowbar twice bearing in mind this song's been out mere weeks Mm -hmm. everyone went off for it and would sing along to every word and they're doing that rowdy football crowd thing of of humming the intro as well chanting the intro which is which is great for a song that's been out yeah about two weeks exactly yeah so um, yeah I am I am really excited to see where Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes go mm-hmm. in 2019. They're playing third from the top at Reading. I know it will probably change and they'll put fucking Migos or Cardi B or someone like that above them, like on before, a, a, between them and a day to remember. Like They'll put a fucking Palais Royale near the top. <laughs> Um, allegedly, um, <laughs> that's going to be the episode title, isn't it? Just allegedly. dot 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 allegedly. Um, but I, uh, I think, you know, they they could, they could be like an Shikari where they go and do these massive venues and then come back occasionally and and still be able to scale their show down yeah. into a brilliant punk rock show. Which you know where Frank is that larger than life personality, but you can kind of reach out and well, definitely at some points in the night you could reach out and grab him because he was on top of the crowd for half yeah. of the fucking show. <laughs> um, excellent to see him doing that, yeah, uh, and and be the the showman that he is mm. that he has really become over time. Yeah. So yeah, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. That uh, yeah, that was awesome. Um, final gig we're going to talk about. Then we're actually going to talk about some albums. <laughs> Um, now this is the one I'm most jealous of you for going to see because I still haven't seen them Conjurer mm-hmm. um, in Bournemouth yes um, I mean did you see any of the support bands at all there was a fucking shit ton of support bands yeah there was um, I saw Urn okay really good mm. um, I have no context for what they sound like I, I was just really impressed by their the kind of tightness yeah. of them live the riffs um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Anvil in Bournemouth. I haven't actually, mate. It's an obnoxiously loud kind of basement okay. venue that doesn't really have a stage sort of on the floor, so mm-hmm. you can't always see the band. Um, but it's a, a really great place to see kind of disgustingly heavy mm. bands like Conjurer. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I had to leave early. Oh, that's because, a big um, Southern Rail. Oh, cheers, mate. Allegedly are pricks. Um, <laughs> I don't think you need to put an allegedly on there. Southern <laughs> Rail, you're pricks. Uh, but what I saw was um, was just phenomenal. They um, they consistently bowl me over with just how fucking great they are on record and live. Um, there's there's just such a tight live band. Mm. The vocals are obscenely loud I think yeah um, superhumanly loud it's just quite a, it's, a, it's quite a menacing live set and mm. I'm trying struggling to put into words why they're so good you just kind of have to go and see them to yeah be honest. 
I I am absolutely kicking myself at the fact I still haven't seen them. I I saw them once before at Two Thousand Trees. Yeah. Which I think was something quite special because they were. Yeah. So much heavier than everything else on that bill, and it was mm. it was just really fun to see. Was there because that's been you know like over over half a year ago now? Mm-hmm. Was there much growth or progression in their set? Mm, no, not that I can see, but not in a kind of bad way. They've got this really cool presence of of not really talking to the crowd, right? Okay, um, which kind of adds to their you know to the atmosphere of it, mm. I suppose. Um, I didn't notice any any sort of huge differences. Right, okay. In the set, they've just got their thing that they do, and they're really fucking great at mm. it. So yeah, awesome. Right, well, I will go and see him at some point. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So, God, we went on a bit about the fucking live shows that we saw, didn't we? Yeah. So we should talk about some uh, some albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I did I did have the idea to kind of go through them in kind of size order on a on a sort of commercial level, mm-hmm. but I thought it might be better for us to just kind of go through them uh, in a slightly random order. I've kind of interspersed the bigger releases sort mm-hmm. of throughout as we go along. Yeah. Because uh, there's kind of three quote unquote big releases on a commercial, uh, you know, commercially speaking, mm-hmm. um, in uh, in this episode. But um, I wanted to start with one which was kind of close to home, um, and that is the debut album from Puppy. Um, it's called The Goat. Um, it's the long-awaited debut album from the London alt-rock trio and friends of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we obviously had Jock on uh, Bitch and Brew around the end of last year, um, on his birthday, no less, um, and I made him vegan lemon drizzle cake. Um, and uh, we spoke a lot about the album, which was actually made just down the road from here at the ranch mm. in Southampton. Um, it comes three years on from their Volume 2 EP, which, in my opinion, firmly established Puppy as one of the most promising and intriguing new bands in this country. Mm. That's who I was referring to earlier when I was talking about Creeper and Milk Teeth and that generation of really promising young British bands. Mm -hmm. Um, Brad, how would you... uh, Were you a fan of Puppy before this... uh, Yeah. uh, Before this album came out? Okay. Yeah. We hadn't really spoken much about them, but um, how would you sum up Puppy to someone who hasn't heard them before? They are a heavy metal alternative rock band. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, they're kind of very sort of... Maybe Ghost meets Weezer meets Smashing Pumpkin. <laughs> you know, <there's... laughs> that's, that's brilliant, because I, I had the same three bands written down, mm-hmm. along with... Um, Deftones, yeah, and Soundgarden, I think a little bit as well. Yeah, um, maybe there's even bits of like Metallica and Alice in Chains, and yeah, it was very. I I would have previously compared them to the most batshit mix mm-hmm. of all those bands, but um, I and I don't think it's a mix for a second that I that we thought we needed. No, but they just make it work. <laughs> Um, one minute it's sort of deliciously evil, the riffs are so dense and doomy and, um, you know, it's just sounding sort of massive and, mm-hmm. and like I said, kind of evil. Yeah. Uh, and then the next minute it's like these light, poppy, alternative rock, 
yeah. uh, summer bangers almost. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're doing both those things at the same time. Now, yeah, I would have previously um, compared them to a mix of all those bands we were mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. But I think the GOAT has elements of all of those bands still. Yeah. Um, however, I feel like this album has a flavour to it which is distinctly puppy yeah. at this point. I'm quite glad you said that because I think one of, one of the things I've got written down is that whilst it may not be original in terms of the ingredients mm. that are going into it, it is unique yeah. in the way that it combines them, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, how often can bands claim to sound completely unique on their debut and, and have the evidence to, to back it up? Even harder, I think, in 2019. For sure, that. yeah. Um, that kind of thing got left in the 90s, I think, in terms of coming out and just <laughs> sounding... You know, if you listen to the debut albums from, like, Korn and Deftones, yeah. I think that might have been one of the last wave of bands that mm. that came out and sounded totally unique. Well, going into this album, I mean, Black Hole being the, the sort of, I guess, the first single they released as part of, you know, saying... This is part of the album, The Goat. Obviously, there's two songs that we had mm. heard before from it. Um, but Black Hole being the first sort of official single from it, I thought it was its such a good way to open the album. It doesn't fuck about. Um, and what I like about this, you know, kind of the progression from, from the Volume 2 EP, which I thought was excellent, mm-hmm. um, and definitely kind of maybe go, oh, hang on, we've really got something here, mm-hmm. um, is, is they've turned up the sort of intensity on the riffs. Yeah. Um, They've gone more ethereal and doomy on the bridge yeah. of Black Hole. Um, and then they've just gone and put loads of poppy vocal harmonies in the chorus <laughs> to balance it all out. Yeah, It's mental, but so good. And then you've got a song like Vengeance coming straight after it, where Jock has just gone full 90s Metallica worship mm-hmm. on the guitar, and it is ace. Um like like I said earlier, we um, Entombed is on the album. It's the yep. only song that's kind of been carried over from the EP. Mm-hmm. It's a song I still love listening to every time, three years on. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome to hear that they've re-recorded it a little bit and added these bits to make it sound more satanic. There's little whispers yeah. uh, in the, um, uh, in the uh, verses mm-hmm. uh, underneath jock's sort of corgan-esque vocals yeah um well so, some might say corgan some might say cardinal copia from ghost um yeah and I, i'm really interested to ask you actually because you shared some unpopular opinions about music recently during which you said you hated iron maiden <laughs> um there are definite moments of sort of nawabum on mm-hmm. this on this album i think the guitar line on And So I Burn could hold a candle to anything on that last Judas Priest album. Mm-hmm. As good as that last Priest album actually was. Yeah. Um, and I think it beats anything on that fucking last Maiden album. <laughs> which, while I love Iron Maiden, that last Maiden album was fucking shocking. Um, I'm definitely with you on that one. Um, yeah, how do, how do you... It, it, it kind of feels beyond pastiche. To mm-hmm. be honest, I say there's moments of Noabum on here, but it doesn't feel like it's kind of, you know, just doing a sort of half baked tribute to those bands. No, it's just another element in the mix, mm. and you know, and there there will be stuff about Iron Maiden that 
I will like, no mm. doubt. It's just every time I've gone to listen to them, I've been like, nope, not for me. No. Um, not even, like, you know, Power Slave? Have you not gone in on that? Rhyme of the Ancient I've Mariner? I've gone in on a lot of it as the years have kind of gone on, and, and the older I get, I'm like, maybe this is the year that I can kind of crack yeah. my way into Iron Maiden, but it's it's never happened. All right. I okay. think the thing is with this is there's just so much else going on Yeah. that I can latch on to. And it really, really benefits from the kind of beefier production. Oh, for sure. Shout, shout out Neil Kennedy for yeah. his production on this, for sure. I think the thing with the um, with the EPs with Puppy, for me, was that I sort of knew how I wanted them to sound mm. when I was listening to it. Yeah, these songs are fucking great. They've got something really special, to use that word again, mm. going on. But I'd love them to sound... A bit heftier, which they do on this, which is which is great. It makes it worth the wait. I think. Yeah, and I think it, it gets even weirder on the second half mm-hmm. of the album. I, I love the first half of the album, going up to and including Entombed, but then it gets really, really weird, and I love it even more. Like Bathing Blood, I I must admit I marked out when I heard Blast Beats because <laughs> I thought, yes, that's proper. You know, I know they're huge black metal fans, so mm-hmm. um, you know, and Billy is just one of the best drummers in the world right now I think um, he has a sort of a stomp and an energy to him that does make me think of like you know some of the best drummers from the 90s um, mm. but you know he's he's now and today and you know and exciting and um, and like I said earlier beyond pastiche really mm-hmm. um, Nightwalker is a really interesting curveball in the set, like the whole second half of the album, I think is sort of curveball after curveball because you've got uh, Nightwalker, which wouldn't have sounded out of place on the Blue album. Um, not the Blue album we'll be talking about in a little bit though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's this, uh, the song "I Feel an Evil," which, as alluded to by Jock when he was on the podcast, um, actually uh, has lead vocals from uh, from Will, their bassist. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you not tell that they were quite different? I don't. I don't remember picking up on that. Oh, okay. But... I thought that. I thought he's he's done a really superb job. He's not necessarily as intriguing vocally mm-hmm. as Jock. He's got a sort of sounds quite weird to say, almost like a standard rock voice, mm-hmm. um, because you know rock vocalists can be so varied. Um, but um, I think you know it's an excellent sort of uh, lead vocal effort from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to hear more of that. I like the idea that they can just kind of go, yeah, you're just going to sing lead vocal. It works works better on here than it did with like Peter Chris from Kiss singing a song <laughs> occasionally. That's another band that I just can't. can't oh mate, make. we're going to get into an argument here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean. I fucking love this record. Um, I'm so pleased that it's finally out there in the world and that we have a full length to kind of show the world how brilliant Puppy are. Yeah. And they've just really delivered yeah. on it as well. You can tell that the time that we've spent waiting for this has, hasn't been wasted. And they've no. spent it really refining. If, if, any, if anything, I would say that my initial reaction to this has kind of been tempered by the fact that one, we were waiting so long, and two, I kind of already knew that I was going to love it. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, and I've heard this before elsewhere, but it's a bit like the Creeper album when that came out. We all kind of knew we were going to love it. Mm-hmm. So when it came out, we just kind of listened to it and went, 
yep, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's kind of happened for me with Puppy. It's not necessarily gone, holy shit, they've stepped it up, because they were already at that level. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have. It, it is obviously better than the Volume 2 EP, um, especially when you end an album on, on your best song ever, which is Demons, yeah. um, and is now rightfully sort of taking their place at the end of their set. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I'm hardly surprised that we're sitting here talking about how fucking brilliant the debut album from Puppy is. Um, so that's The Goat by Puppy, and that's out now on Spine Farm Records. Now, for another album I was on the edge of my seat for in January, um, but do I love it as much as I wanted to? Well, that remains to be seen, because it's time to talk about the debut album from Fever 333. Um, it's called Strength in Numbers, or as I'm calling it, Strength in Num... Three-three-rers. <laughs> um, it's the debut album, as I mentioned, from the Los Angeles trio, featuring members of um, The Chariot and Night Verses, and of course, uh, Jason Alon Butler, formerly of Let Live. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, do you want to do you want to start with this one? Yeah, should sh- should I go straight in with what I think of it? I go for it. I don't Fuck really it. Know. <laughs> Time is of the essence. Um, this is a strange album. I think it's it's quite a mix of different things. You know, it's got a real kind of punk spirit. Mm-hmm. It's very political. It's got a really great message, um, but it has also clearly been made to appeal to a large audience. Right. I think we're talking about the audience that now know about Fever Three 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 because they were Grammy nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um. Okay, I'm really glad you started by saying it's a weird album because. I think it's I think it's very hard not to fall into that trap of comparing an artist's new projects to their old ones. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's especially hard if um they're in the least bit sonically similar mm-hmm. um as Fever are to certainly Latter Day Let Live, somewhere between The Black is Beautiful and If I'm the Devil. Mm-hmm. Um and when you're the front man of one of the best bands of this century, mm-hmm. as Jason was. Yeah. I think you just have to take that on the chin. I think when you're as instantly recognisable, yeah, as he is as well, you can't help but, you know, remember that live when you hear his. Yeah. And I loved the Made in America EP. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not quite so much. I, I Okay, I really liked it. I, I loved the single. Mm-hmm. I loved... Made in America, the title yeah. track, um, and I thought Trigger was fucking immense as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what I needed from this album, what I wanted from it, um, was Fever Three 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 to be 2019's answer to the sort of self-titled Rage Against the Machine album. Yeah. And I know a lot of people think that's a tall order. That is a like once in a lifetime album that first rage album and i do agree mm-hmm. but they set the bar yeah. with those singles and with their reputation as musicians mm-hmm. um whether they've met that i think remains to be seen and 
you say it's a weird album. I thought, if I was an Ofsted inspector, <laughs> I would say that this album was good with outstanding features. I only say That's... that because I had to read that sentence a lot when I was in a job interview for a school recently. Um, <laughs> so I thought I'd sneak that one in there. It's a really it's nice very, way to it's put very it. Academ- it's a very academic analysis of, a, <laughs> of, a, of a, a punk rock record. Can you call it punk rock? I, I've got written here in my notes that it has got as much to do with, as you say, Rage Against the Machine, bands like Bad Brains, mm. that kind of thing. There is also as much lineage uh, towards that as there is towards the likes of Fall Out Boy, mm-hmm. 30 Seconds to Mars, yeah. that kind of thing. 21 Pilots. 21 Pilots. Yeah. Um, which is why I say a weird album. Yeah. Because um, it's capable of being so raw and yet so poppy. I think yeah. if you're looking at it objectively, looking at what this record is seems like it's trying to do is get a really mm. great positive message out to as many people as possible mm. and you can't really say that it's unsuccessful no in that and it's clearly got a big audience i love what fever are doing mm-hmm. with the idea of their shows being demonstrations mm-hmm. really does make me think I, I haven't seen them live yet but i understand that they do something similar to what you know, and not to compare them too much, but uh, to what Rage did, where they used to come out dressed as like Guantanamo Bay prisoners mm. and and do that whole thing. Um, so you know, seeing seeing the the, the lineage between those two sort of eras, um, I I really wanted Fever to just be, uh, especially with the the platform they've got from this from this Grammy nomination. We talked a a lot, certainly between you and I, not when mm-hmm. we had this podcast, obviously, <laughs> uh, about when Code Orange got nominated for a Grammy, Ju- mm-hmm. just, you know, represent what is going on right now mm-hmm. uh, in alternative music as a whole and just bring that scorched, scorched earth mentality mm-hmm. uh, to the mainstream. So um, let's let's talk about some of the songs. So yep. uh, Burn It. The the opening the opening single obviously mm-hmm. unless you uh, count the the sort of narrative intro of there's a there's a fucking fever coming which is ace <laughs> I will say um, burn it is the spiritual successor to to banshee ghost fame um, it is interesting f- uh, well maybe the successor to to Good Morning America in terms well. of its of its message yeah and stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I also that. think it's quite rhythmically similar to, mm-hmm. to Banshee Ghost yeah. fame yeah um, I think that's probably why I said it more sort of the sonic successor than the spiritual successor mm-hmm. if you will I think it's fucking excellent yeah. um, and I think it opens the album super strong maybe it opens the album a little too strong I also agree <laughs> <laughs> um, there's uh, a song called Pray For Me my favourite song. Oh, really? The album. Okay, um, it's the first of three songs which kind of serve as the three centerpieces on the album. The ones that are suffixed by a three. slash three. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, which uh, act as almost like two part songs, don't they? Because they're they're slightly longer. They're around the six seven minute mark, and um, they go a bit mental towards yeah. the end. Mental <laughs> in terms of um, heavier, yeah, more kind of hectic sounding. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Pray For Me is what I imagine a collaboration between Run The Jewels and Meteora-era Linkin Park would sound like. That explains why I like it so much. <laughs> um, 
and it's not the first time I'll reference Linkin Park on this podcast. No. Um, with, with Travis Barker on drums, I should say. Pray For Me has Travis Barker on drums? No, no, I just think oh, it, it sounds, sounds like Travis. You know when Travis Barker was on Run The Jewels 2? with Fever, with Fever Yes, yeah, lot, he has. So yeah, yeah. That... yeah, he's been on the Made in America um, uh, mm. remix. Yeah. Maybe it is Travis. I don't know. He's I... played live with them, I think. Yeah, well. yeah. I think Pray For Me is probably the different elements of the record coming mm. together the most successfully for me. Can definitely agree with you on the Fallout Boy element. Mm-hmm. It's like Fallout Boy, but like good. <laughs> Modern day Fallout Boy. I fucking love old Fallout Boy, yeah. obviously. Um, Out of Control as well. It's mm-hmm. possibly my favourite song on the album. That's another good one. Um, I mean, it is piss the fuck off. Mm-hmm. The whole album is pissed off, but that song is the epitome of pissed off and 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 the chorus i mean it's just massive it's possibly the most let livy sounding thing yeah on the record just has that sort of urgency and it's probably the most live wire mm. song yeah and i mean jason i love his vocal performance yeah. on this album you know one minute he sounds like zach from rage against the machine one minute he sounds like James Brown and the next he sounds like, you know, HR from mm-hmm. from Bad Brains. I think credit also where credit's due to um John Feldman who produced this is uh I mean I can't it's say a bit I'm weird to a fan to, yeah. of his work, his production work. Generally I'm not a fan. Yeah. I believe he produced the first Beartooth album, which is oh, another really? That's... production job of his that mm. I think is quite good in terms of melt sounding raw at times, but mm. also very clean and very polished. Yeah, I think we should say it's not the Jason show. Much like we were saying with Frank Carter earlier, I think um, Stephen, their guitarist, mm-hmm. he creates some awesome hooks on this, yeah. uh, for sure. And, you know, um, Eric, their drummer, um, who's in Night Verses, I mean, we know how much of a technically gifted drummer he is when yeah. you listen to Night Verses, but I think he's fucking blinding on this. He does mm-hmm. that brilliant thing, not to compare him to Travis too much, I'm making way too many comparisons in this review, but he does, you know, bridge that kind of rock and hip-hop thing kind of really well, has that energy of a rock drummer yeah. with the kind of uh, the the effortless groove of a hip-hop drummer. Um, it's a really great performance. It's a really hard thing to nail mm-hmm. the balance between, but he does it superbly on this. I think he's fucking ace. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could talk about a couple of the bum points on the album. I think uh, it might be worth saying that for me, this record comes to a grinding halt um, with Inglewood. I and it never recovers for me. Really? The last song. I think is good. Coop to talk. Yes. Uh, really good song. Okay. I don't think it's quite enough to kind of... Are you not even a fan of Out of Control? When it kind I of just... goes a little bit more samba drum towards the end. I sort of feel like the the kind of... Um, I don't want to say tricks, but um, it's a front-loaded album okay. for me. And um, it kind of runs out of steam. Once it gets to Inglewood for me, and I, every time I've listened to this album a lot, it's yeah, one of the first to come out. Yeah, I mean, it came year. out early in the year. Um, I I want to love Inglewood so much, mm. but I definitely agree with you that it's it halts the momentum. I think, I think, it's lyrically really compelling 
and poignant. Mm-hmm. But the way Jason delivers it, and and just the way the album, the the the, the album, the song sounds, the song sounds yeah, wet. I agree, and and I think he sounds like shouty old man Eminem. <laughs> Um, the storytelling element of Inglewood is great, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I did a really good job for someone who is as massive a Letlift fan as I am. I think I'm just going to give myself some credit. I did a really good job of kind Fine, of. Fine, blow smoke up your own arse, mate. <laughs> no one else will. I've, um... <laughs> if anyone out there would like to. <laughs> blow smoke up my arse, I'm free. Or would you maybe prefer vape? Um, yeah, either or. <laughs> I did a really good job of kind of setting the whole let live thing aside and appreciating the fever for what they are, or fever three 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 for what mm. they are. Um, Inglewood's the only time I kind of weeped, shed a tear for let live, because I think it it occupies a very similar space that Mother did on the first on not on the first on Fake mm. History. It's a very similar place in the album. Yeah. Um, kind of a middle the, point. Yeah, and, yeah slower yeah. song, slower build. So we know how fucking great Jason can do this kind of thing. Yeah, that's... And how captivating it can sound. And Inglewood just doesn't doesn't come close no, to that sonically. Yeah. I I think... Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised I hadn't actually drawn that mother comparison. But yeah, when you, when you are... When you set the bar that high for yourself mm-hmm. and... I mean, it it is a crying shame mm-hmm. of a song, and I really want to love it for for the story that it tells, but it just makes me think of Eminem on a song like "Not Afraid," mm-hmm. which just makes me cringe at the fact that that man once gave us the Slim Shady LP. Um, I've I've listened to this album around fifteen times at this yeah, point, I'd say and about the same. I still feel like it's yet to properly sink its claws into me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't stop me from believing, and I'm about to use a phrase that I think you're gonna hate. But it doesn't stop me from believing that the Fever, uh, that Fever three three three, could be an important band. No, I think um, the word "important" is really overused. Mm. I think this is quite an appropriate place to use it. They've they've got a really great message, and there's a sense of community that I think goes mm. all the way through this album. As pissed off as it gets at times, there's always a mention to togetherness, yeah. you know, and inclusivity. So I think mm. they are important. I really can't wait to see them live. No, me neither. Well. I think I may be... They need to get over here and do a proper tour, to be fair. Yeah. I think it might be coming. I think mm. Jason's been dropping some hints on Twitter. There's a fucking fever coming. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucking fever coming. Sorry. Um, so that's uh, Fever 333 and Strength in Numbers. Um, out now on Roadrunner Records, and I'd be very interested to revisit this one towards the end of the year. Definitely. Uh, not to like think too far ahead, but I'm already intrigued to see where this will kind of sit on my top twenty mm-hmm. if it sits there at all, really. Yeah. But I'm gonna persist because, like I said, I feel like I'm yet to discover some of the brilliant things about this album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of which there are already quite a few. So, Fever 333, Strength in Numbers. So, for this one, we've... um, So, on episode zero, which is technically episode one, and this is episode technically number two, but this is actually episode number one. Are you confused as I am? Yep. Yep, cool, right. Um, 
we um, we covered the Holy Fawn record, mm. uh, which was an album that came out in 2018 technically, but is getting a re-release mm-hmm. on Holy Raw Records in March. Yeah. Uh, we've done the old switcheroony on this one because uh, we've got an album uh, that came out in 2018, um, but we've considered it a January album because it was re-released by the brilliant guys, my old family at Hassel Records, um, in January to the world. Um, it is the debut album from the Australian four-piece Press Club, um, and it is called Late Teens. Um, Honestly, don't know, especially following on from Fever three three three. If I can spin so much conversation out of this one, I'm just gonna come out with it. Fucking love this record. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be blunt about it because I think this album is quite blunt in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just simple and catchy and angsty alternative rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I know we use alt-rock a lot mm-hmm. on this podcast, but it's not quite punk. No. It's not quite pop. It's not quite indie, but it kind of dips its toes into all of those waters. Yeah. Into all of those paddling pools. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, a crucial thing that this record has, I think, is character. Mm. A lot of these kind of bands live and die on their vocalist, really, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And um, the vocalist for Press Club, Natalie Foster, yeah, has um, such a kind of passionate, kind of raw delivery. Mm. And um, these guys are Australian, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, well, Nat is from a city called Ballarat. Mm-hmm. I've probably mispronounced that, but yeah, in yeah, they they are Australian. Yeah. In answer to your question, <laughs> yes. I think it's been mentioned before that I've got. A kind of a, a real thing for kind of Australian bands of this ilk. Mm. We we're talking a lot, obviously, about the Camp Cope record. Camp Cope. I also love kind of the Smith Street bands. Yeah, they're all kind of different in their own respect. The Heartaches. It was Heartaches. A, another great one. Um, they've got a real knack for this kind of raw, mm. kind of alt rock leaning. Yeah. Obviously, they're not Australian, but from that part of the world, we talked about the Beths on yeah, episode zero. Yeah, certainly fit into that yeah. to that bracket. Mm. Um, yeah, what you said about Nat Foster, I mean, mm-hmm. I think she has a raspiness to her voice, yeah. and like you said, it's quite raw, but it, it it's contrasted almost with a sweetness. It it reminds me of that. Um, I mean, it puts me in mind of do you, do you know the band Bully? Yeah. That everyone was going on about around 2015. Their yeah. album feels like was was made them quite a buzz band for a little while. It seems the buzz kind of died for them quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably prefer this to the Bully album. It certainly clicked with me. A yeah, lot. yeah. Um, and I think what you were saying, it's interesting about um, there are similarities between this and something like the Camp Cope record. It's hard to believe that if you liked that, that you wouldn't that you wouldn't like this. No. Although I would definitely say that this is more upbeat and Mm -hmm. in your face, really. Yeah. More Uh, raucous, mm. I think. I I read an interview with uh, with Nat that said that it kind of felt natural to sing faster and to sing louder um, as the music did the same thing and as they kind of got together in a a practice room and just Mm. kind of started going a little bit faster and a little bit sort of more buzzsaw on the guitars and a little bit more aggressive um, while still remaining 
incredibly catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the pacing on this record is superb. Yeah. Because um, it absolutely rattles out the gates. It doesn't necessarily go too fast at any point. Um, I still bet the drummer is absolutely knackered after a gig because <laughs> he just keeps that pace kind of going throughout the record. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I must say, and I'm not being biased because I, I used to work for Hassle Records, um, but they've really, uh, they've really, they're really on to a winner with this one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to see just another brilliant Australian band coming out. Um, coming out, uh, you know, of the woodwork, but coming out strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think this album necessarily reinvents the wheel in the slightest. No, and I don't think you always have to no. when you've got a lot to offer. And yeah, and they do have a lot to offer because mm-hmm. we haven't really gone in on any particular songs, but I, I've definitely had, you know, some of the choruses from songs like Suburbia. Yeah. And head wreck, and mm-hmm. my body's changing. Yeah. Um, on, I think on, stay low is a, is a personal highlight for me. Which yeah. I think might be the last song. On the I, I believe it's the penultimate song, okay. perhaps. Um, but uh, you know, and it doesn't really go off on many creative tangents. No. But I think that kind of work they they work that simplicity to its advantage mm-hmm. on this record. Get in, get out. Leave a bunch of earworm melodies and choruses behind that you sing along to for fucking days. Um, but then you can just... I, I First time I listened to this, I listened to it probably about four times in a row because I was just like, it's quite addictive. Yeah. Just like, I need that again. Another, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can say. That It's just great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Wonderful. So that's uh, that's Press Club with Late Teens. And yeah, like I said, that came out last year. Um, but it kind of came out properly this year, re-released on Hassle Records. So you can go and listen to that now on Spotify. Or better yet, go and pick up a CD or a, or a vinyl. And I'm yeah. pretty sure they're over here. Certainly if they haven't announced something yet, I think they'll be over here uh, touring in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll check back on that. And if they are doing a tour... I'll put the dates in the uh, in the biog yeah. of this episode in the description. So press club and late teens. Um, so it's time for another big talking point mm-hmm. from January. Um, you've probably heard of this record. Uh, it's by a an up and coming group of young lads from Sheffield called Bring Me the Horizon. Um, this is their sixth album now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Armo which is Portuguese for I love, mm-hmm. among um, other sort of meanings. Um, were, were, you, were you quite a... Um, were you a fan of That's the Spirit? I can imagine... No. Oh, wow, OK, I fair enough. Say you can I was about I was. to say I'd imagine you were. I like to think I gave it a really good chance mm. to, to grow on me, uh, and it never really did. No, me neither. I think, it, again... Much like the Fever record, it was good with outstanding moments, but it was kind of <laughs> balanced out by a lot of toss. Yeah, um, I think the bad stuff on That's the Spirit is is probably worse than the bad stuff on, <laughs> on Fever as well. Oh, undoubtedly, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, it's just to the point at which it's forgettable. Yeah. Um, at least with the Fever record, you had something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas that with That's the Spirit, a lot of the moments were just like, eh, 
Yeah. All right then. Yeah. Um, I mean, going into this, um, going into the sort of the lead up to Armo, um, talk about the singles that came out beforehand, uh, mm-hmm. Mantra, um, and and Wonderful Life as well. I think they're both superb. Yeah. I think they definitely get the the balance right in terms they they certainly do better than what a song like Throne was trying to do yeah. on That's the Spirit, which is a song I've just never got. It never clicked with me. It's no. become a staple of their live set now and a it fan favourite. Like it was a a live yeah. thing. Yeah. Know, and it, it doesn't really work on record. Um and at least we can hear the guitars. On Mantra and Wonderful yeah. Life, which I think was a thing that's drawn a lot of criticism with That's the Spirit, but mm-hmm. has been recognised, um, weirdly, on an album like Armo. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't decide if this is total bum, <laughs> um, or if it's the best album I've heard this year. I've been dying to talk about this album with yeah. you, Brad, um, because it is... A head fuck. <laughs> an um, ear fuck. Yeah, an ear fuck. <laughs> um, fucked in the ear, I believe, is the new Cannibal Corpse album we're going to be talking about next month. <laughs> um, I I feel very similar to how I feel about the Fever record um, with Armo. Um, good with outstanding features. Okay. Um, and I know I just said that about That's the Spirit. But where that's the spirit was let down by its kind of crap moments, this is really boosted by its outstanding moments. Okay. And I think when it is outstanding, it's really very brilliant. Um, you are kind of looking at me in a Stroking quite a puzzled manner, like chinny wreck on some. <laughs> um, so, and almost twiddling your moustache. Because it's at that length now. You've got yeah, a good I am t- fiddling with it a lot. It's, yeah. it's a mild irritation. I, I'd appreciate exactly like you me. not fiddling with it in my car. Sorry. <laughs> Windows are steaming up again. Um, yeah, you're looking at me in an, in quite a puzzled way. Are you not feeling the same about Armo? I think I like this record quite a bit more than you. Really? I really, really like this Wow, record. yes! I okay, really, really like fantastic. It. I, I almost want to say that it's outstanding with some not-so-good features. Mmm. You know? Sorry, that was me is... acknowledging your comment. <laughs> Take, taking interest there in is, your comment um, for a sip of water. There is some absolute bum on this record. Yeah. But it's few and far between enough for me to to really like the record quite a lot. Yeah. I think, you know, Medicine, talking yeah. about the singles earlier, which came out before the album release, I think Medicine is pretty poo. Yeah. Um, uh, I wanted to bring something in today, actually. A quote from um, the review of the album from Wall of Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, remember how frontman Ollie Sykes trolled fans into thinking the band were going to be included on Justin Bieber's 2016 Purpose tour through the UK? Sorry, I ran out of breath there. It's a really long sentence, Ward of Sound. That's very cr- cruel of you. Uh, well, it's kind of like he, they, have taken that joke seriously and gone down the path to see what happens. <laughs> I definitely agree on a song like Medicine. On a song like Medicine, the other the other um, kind of offender is um, Mother Tongue. Okay. They're the two, I think, that, that really don't quite land 
for me, although mm. I'd be lying if I said I haven't been singing Mother Tongue in the shower. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm i not sure I do agree with, with everyone kind of, of saying that this is kind of a cynical move towards pop and that they might be supporting Justin Bieber because to me this is still quite an alternative record. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not metal, it's not always rock, mm. it's not always anywhere near it's not pure guitar pop. music no but it but it is definitely always alternative mm. i think for sure and i mean i think you know a lot of people that have gotten kind of butthurt about like a song like heavy metal towards the end mm-hmm. which is brilliant yeah it's fucking outrageously good um and and people who've got butt hurt about this album in general have clearly just made a playlist of the heavy moments from the last three albums and listened to them instead of the albums themselves i yeah they've they've kind of taken anti-vist and shadow moses and happy song and drown and maybe doomed as well mm-hmm. and kind of just listen to a playlist of those songs as well and kind of gone well that's what bring the horizon is and they've con- completely turned uh they've kind of twisted the narrative yeah to be that they were ever and um this is i'm going to try not to kind of go on a rant this is the thing that that kind of really confuses me is that bring me the horizon i think quite early in their career set their stall out as a band that we're never going to do the same album mm. twice, you know. Um, Suicide Season is really different to the rubbish that they were doing before. Oh, you're not a fan um, of Count Your Blessings? No, I think it's... Just... I, I don't think it's aged well. No, not at all. Um, and then There Is A Hell was quite very experimental. Yeah. Sempaternal is, um, although much heavier than this, is a, is a really quite a poppy record. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, you, do you remember the first time we heard Sleepwalking? Exactly. We kind of heard Ollie doing those those clean vocals. Yeah. It um, was a real eye opener of a moment. Things like Can You Feel My Heart with that kind of electronic. Mm. The the writing's been on the wall for this kind of thing, I think, for much longer than than people seem to be making out. Yeah. So the controversy confuses me a, a little bit. But... Mm. And and without kind of echoing the sentiment that everyone else has been saying about this album, you know. People are gonna get butt hurt about heavy metal. Maybe they shouldn't have been such pricks to bring to us <laughs> yeah. in the first place. It's really true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't really blame them. Like clip-on fringes aside, <laughs> um, you know, I think if people were expecting to be for them to still be doing stuff like whatever the name of that long song is towards the end of Suicide Season where he's like after everything you put me through I should have fucking pissed on you mm. you know if you think they're still going to be doing songs like that then you have lost your mind mm. um, speaking of Ollie Sykes um, I think this is probably the best he sounded on record with his clean vocals yeah he probably had a lot of help yeah in uh, air, yeah. air commas there, air, <laughs> air speech marks there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's lots of comparisons out there to Linkin Park with Ollie, and we yeah. know how influential Linkin Park was on Ollie, especially. Mm-hmm. I think this is the best tribute he could have paid, made to uh, to Chester Bennington, mm-hmm. rest in power, um, especially on a song like Mother Tongue. Yeah. Um, you know. Bring the horizon. We've said it's 
we've said that Armo is kind of an alternative record, mm-hmm. but it does do for me what a lot of modern pop music does. Yeah, and this, that and this is the thing. Mm, that's that's two th- two things modern pop music does for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying all modern pop music because you know there is some shit out there, mm-hmm. but there is also Dua Lipa and uh, you know Charlie XCX and Ariana Grande doing mm-hmm. awesome things. Queens, sorry, Queens, they're Queens. 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 Oh, I thought you were talking about <laughs> Christine and the Queens or something. No, and you're just called, well. yeah, 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 yeah. Christine and Queens are great. Um, yeah, they, they modern pop music that's really good does does two things for me. One that is uh, a really polished but excellent production, mm-hmm. and two is vocal lines that just get into your head. Mm-hmm. And I think Armo does that to annoyingly good effect at times <laughs> you know uh vocal lines wise i think mother tongue um in the dark has that vocal sample that should be really grating but is actually you know gets stuck in your head it's an earworm yeah. sugar honey ice and tea oh that, How, yeah that is ridiculously catchy yeah um and and production wise i do think while ollie has made a, a great progression on this album. I do think this is Jordan Fisher's moment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the third album he's contributed to with Bring Me In. I think he is the MVP of this album. When you listen to the production on Nihilus Blues, mm-hmm. um, on Ouch, which is a really cool little interlude I like. It's yeah. kind of got a bit Aphex Twin, yeah. um, sort of glitch hop mm-hmm. kind of thing going on, or like Gold Panda, sort of producers like that. Fresh Bruises is another one that, that yeah. has a similar... Less effective in my eyes. Oh, really? I think you could have oh, yeah. maybe cut Fresh Bruises. Um, yeah. I mean, it's arguable. But, yeah. um, uh, and uh, Why You Gotta Kick Me When I'm Down as mm-hmm. well, which makes, it sounds like he's producing a Stormzy song Yeah. for, for, for all we know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I don't have a conclusion to this album. I think... Um, Ollie Sykes himself actually summed it up quite nicely. I don't know if you saw his Instagram post about. I I didn't know. Um, I, I saw his Instagram post where he's rocking that fucking awesome suit for the Grammys yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, he looks fucking sharp in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. Actually. I'd look even better in it. So yeah, hook me up, brother. <laughs> um, I, I I'm paraphrasing. Okay, so I haven't got it noted down, but he was essentially saying that it. He, how pleased he is that the record's been so divisive mm. and it feels very in keeping with the spirit of Bring Me the Horizon and that if you're someone that likes metal music and, and likes the heavier end of things he said that you're well within your right to, to hate this album mm. which I think is kind of this is kind of the only conclusion I can come to on it is that yeah. if you're someone that doesn't like the production of modern pop music doesn't always enjoy electronic mm. music then then this record's going to really probably grate on you yeah but it works for me i think the thing is is that unlike a lot of bands that try to do this kind of thing they have a real understanding mm. of the genres that they're dipping into whether it's trip hop um or even like edm mm. there's, a, there's a sort of edm drop on nihilus blues yeah Jordan Fish especially I think really knows how to use these things he has in his arsenal I think Jordan Fish became maybe a bit too dominant on That's the Spirit and mm-hmm. kind of you know 
phased out all the um you know it was a big complaint obviously the guitar yeah. the guitar's missing from that's the spirit whereas this one he's obviously learned to work much more collaboratively with with Lee and with with Matt mm-hmm. um and you know I think um because I think, there are riffs on this record as well oh for saying. sure it's sugar honey ice and tea god the riffs on mm. that and and on heavy metal mm-hmm. I think those are possibly the two best songs on the record mm-hmm. for me anyway I'm still my favorite song on this changes on a daily basis yeah I think that's the thing for me is that there's there seems to be different ones that I go to at yeah. different times um and it's nothing if not magnificently produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does have an amazing production. And I don't know, when the Fever record came out, I kind of listened to it a couple of times and went, oh, okay, fair enough, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, I couldn't stop listening to it. I just, there was something about it that just made me keep going back. And yeah, there are some pretty bum moments on it. Medicine, Mother Tongue as a whole is pretty bummed no matter how catchy it is um yeah. but something just makes you keep going back to it i think i don't think anyone there is no reasonable argument to say that this record isn't interesting no even if you hate it like someone said it was boring and i was like jesus stupid you, you, idiots <laughs> You like bloody you said, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bloody Wally. You, you ninny. You cotton-headed ninny, ninny muggins. <laughs> I think it, it, it's a really, really interesting record. And yeah. There's, there's lots of new things you can hear when you keep diving back into it. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's Bring the Horizon and Armo. Um, which is out now, as are all the other albums that we're talking about today, because they all came out in January. Um, next album is uh, from Pedro the Lion, um, and it's called Phoenix. It's the first album in 15 years from the uh, project, I suppose you could call it, of David Bazan, um, a singer-songwriter from, you guessed it, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, although I believe he's now based in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out through our good friends over at Big Scary Monsters. Um, did you know much about Pedro the Lion at all? Absolutely nothing. Okay, fair enough. Because, yeah, I think um, he is considered, certainly uh, David Bazan is, within an elite of emo, semi-acoustic, mm-hmm. alt-rock singer-songwriters who mm-hmm. do the the quote-unquote solo thing alongside their, their sort of primary band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it eventually kind of becomes their main thing, yeah. you know, much like Owen, which is Mike Kinsella from American Football, mm-hmm. or City in Colour, which is Dallas Green from Alexis on Fire. Um, quite often, uh, David Bazan has written and recorded all the parts mm-hmm. of his records, and um, as such, he's had a revolving cast of musicians um for you know all of the other elements um including at one point Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie uh-huh. uh played um as part of Pedro the Lion once um and i think uh he kind of i believe he's done all the arrangement writing on this uh, on this record um and previously and i'm just kind of going off quick sort of browsing in the Mm -hmm. research for this i think he's previously been quite um uh sort of 
he's he's taken a lot of creative control on Pedro mm-hmm. the Lion projects and has kind of he he finds that it's more natural to kind of write and record all the parts himself and then when it comes to playing live shows and doing all the other sort of band commitments then he brings additional musicians in but yeah. as such he kind of had quite a, a high turnover of of yeah. band members um so he kind of packed Pedro the Lion in in 2005 um and went about doing just the solo thing as David Bazan mm-hmm. under his own name and um i've not really listened to any of his sort of stuff under the name david bazan so i'm not 100% sure what separates his solo material from that of pedro the lion mm-hmm. um but this record bringing it around to this record it was written um during what he refers to as the lowest point in his life um and thematically i think you can tell with this record that he has always craved a healthier relate like collaborative relationship with with other musicians mm-hmm. despite that that need somewhat to have creative control mm-hmm. um yeah so that's a little bit of background to Pedro the Lion so Brad what what do you what do you think about this record I like it okay um it's interesting that that you tell me all that some some of that I knew from from doing research some of it I didn't know. Okay. But it's interesting you say that because this record, to me, sounds like it's catharsis, you know, mm. for him. Um, so it's it, it's interesting that he that he has that level of creative control because mm. it sounds very much like music is a, is an outlet. Yeah. For him. Because I believe other musicians play on this record. Yeah. But he has done all the arrangement writing, which I think is kind of his way of compromise. It does sound very kind of meticulously Mm. crafted in that way. I think it's great. I think um, to actually talk about him and and his vocals, he has this great kind of world weariness, you know, this... Yeah. And I mean, he's been round... You know, he's quite a heavily touring musician. Mm-hmm. He's in his mid-40s now. So he's, I think he's a little bit... He was a sort of figurehead of that 90s Jade Tree Records emo scene. Yeah. So, you know, he, he kind of has that experience on his side, I mm-hmm. think, really. You know, that's why I think I can kind of put him in the same bracket as someone like Jim Adkins from Jimmy Eat World or mm-hmm. Ben Gibbard, um, as we mentioned earlier. Um I think sonically this record is quite simple. Yeah. And straightforward and, 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 and laid back as yeah. well. I, I put there's a kind of leans towards the sort of Americana side of things or emo ricana, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um but I think there are also real moments of intelligence on this record. Mm-hmm. And, and like you're saying about the meticulous arrangements, I really like the the little touches like I don't know if you noticed on the um, well, on the first, the second track after after a sort of pretty lovely bright intro, um, uh, "Yellow Bike," mm-hmm. which I think might still be my favourite song on this record. Yeah, um, you know, there's he, he's uh, talking about his his heart racing, mm-hmm. and then you just hear like the thump of a heartbeat yeah. on the floor, Tom, just behind him. I, th- I think little touches like that. Uh, there's a song on it called "Model Homes," uh, which is rhythmically quite intricate not necessarily in like a proggy sense no. but it just sort of has that 
that American football esque. Yeah, that more kind of mathy. Mathy, sort of, yeah, yeah, but but ultimately quite stripped back and. It's, incred- it's and all delicate. incredibly subtle. Mm. Oh it's yes, a real subtle touch to this record. Mm. I think, as you as you sort of pointed out earlier, he is a very introspective musician and mm-hmm. singer. Um, I think he always has been. He's he's quite sort of uh, acclaimed for that. And this is a really evocative album. And I think the themes and imagery, particularly of childhood, you know, yeah. there's that repeated imagery of the yellow bike. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite songs on the record is Circle K, sort of around the it's middle. My favourite as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's it's the narrative of saving up to buy a skateboard and then realising that you've spent all the money on, you know, kind of little things. Yeah. You know, sweets. I think and he says, like, soda and, and so, sweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Soda and sweets. It's something so... I think I think a lot of us can probably relate to that. Yeah. And, you know, think, oh, the sort of the folly of youth and that, that sort of... That moment when it hits you mm. and that kind of moment of growing up can be quite sobering. Um, I think it's... A, very sort of vivid narrative and yeah, and, I, and quite moving. I think one thing that, that is really great about this album, as, as wanky as it's probably going to make me sound, is that if you have this on in your headphones and, and you kind of close your eyes, you can see what he's talking about. Mm. He, he describes at some points in, in detail the, the rooms that he's sitting in, or yeah. I think he goes into detail about the shop. And yeah. Like, okay. And you really get this image in your head of what he's talking about. Yeah. I think this is, um, I, I mean, this one had all the emo kids kind of marking out, mm-hmm. um, for sure, but I think it's also worth checking out if you're more into bands like The National yeah. and Manchester Orchestra, and I, I would also draw certain parallels between this and the Foxing record. I don't know if you possibly agree with me. It's definitely less complex than the Foxing record. I think, but um, I think certainly in the way he, you know, portrays, certainly in the way he carries narratives. Yeah, with and the imagery. Of it yeah, and, and also actually, now that you say that, in the in the meticulously kind of arranged nature of it, I think the For Foxing sure. record, although there was a lot more going on, mm. it that was another album that was very meticulously crafted. For sure. Um, so yeah, I really really like this. I'm I'm I, you know I'm going off of this with a fairly limited knowledge of Pedro the Lion's back catalogue. I have listened to Achilles Heel, which was the last album he did before sort of packing in Pedro the Lion initially. I haven't listened to any of Bazan's solo stuff, mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't be an authority on that at all. Are you compelled at all to kind of go back and oh, check yeah. out? Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah, cool. I think to. Um to digest the albums as a whole because that is one thing about this album I think mm. it's probably best digested as an album yeah yeah, for sure so that's um, Pedro the Lion and Phoenix and that's out now on Big Scary Monsters right so I do realise we have gone on quite a little bit um, about this certainly you know this is sort of definitely a work in progressing as we're so early on so if you have feedback you want to hear us talking less about certain things then obviously get in touch with mm-hmm. us we're open to feedback aren't we yeah yeah as long as it's nice as long like. as it's nice yeah otherwise you can fuck off <laughs> um so uh, i think we'll kind of uh, we won't glaze past this albums but uh we might not just go as in depth on them mm-hmm. even though there is one release i really want to kind of 
champion. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say the other two aren't uh, aren't great to talk about as well. So the next one uh, we're going to talk about uh, comes from the Twilight Sad mm-hmm. um, Scottish indie rock quintet. This is their fifth album, and it's called um, "It Won't Be Like This All the Time." Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> I'd never listened to the Twilight Sad before. Ah. I was quite surprised. I I was compelled to listen to this album um, after the review kind of opened with the fact that the Twilight Sad were uh, acclaimed by Robert Smith, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, to be kind of one of the best modern post-punk bands mm-hmm. um, around at the moment. Um, so when I stuck on this record, I don't really know what to expect, to be honest. Um, but I wasn't quite expecting them to sound a lot like... Um, we referenced the National earlier talking about Pedro the Lion but they do I think sound quite a lot like the National in places but also uh, you know alongside some of their Scott Rock contemporaries so Father Son and We Were Promised Jetpacks Mm -hmm. I think they sound very similar to Um, but I really I mean for first impressions I really really like this record cool Um, now I wanted to add it to the list today because, as we've discussed earlier, I know how much of a cure mark you are mm-hmm. and how much you love post-punk. And we talked about that Kyla Mikla record on episode zero. So yeah. I thought I'd bring in another modern post-punk record for us to talk about. Um, what do you think of It Won't Be Like This All The Time? Yep, it's great. I... Um... <laughs> I had listened to the Twilight Sad before. Okay, were you um, a fan? I came to them on their last record, which was um, called "Nobody Wants to Be Here and Nobody Wants to Leave." I believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a pretty cool album title. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know why um, I laughed. Like we were in some sort of, uh, you they've know, got a, a penchant for kind of really cool album titles. Actually. Yeah. Um, laughing like we're in some sort of Shakespearean play like I'd slap your knee <laughs> <laughs> don't touch me um, <laughs> that was a um, that last album was a, was a lot more accessible than okay. ever been they are a gloomy band mm. um, at there, the best of times there is a sort of a melancholy laced throughout this record I'd this say. record is interesting um, because it comes after quite a turbulent time for the band had some lineup changes. Okay. Um, they signed to a new record label, which is Mogwise. Wow. Label, okay. Rock fair Action enough. Records, yeah. Another kind of contemporary of theirs. Well, Mogwise is a band I've never. I've gone on a couple of Mogwai records, but mm-hmm. it's never really a band I've, I've, I've plumbed. I must admit, I don't know the back their catalog entire of, back catalog. No. There's a lot to go to dive into, but what I've heard and the albums that I do know, I, I really like. Okay. Cool. Um. And so I believe I think for fans this is maybe um, quite a relief to have them actually return mm. with an album and a, and a really strong album. I think this album sees them, although they're they're very very unique. This album sees that sees them kind of edge closer to a lot of their influences. Okay, I think The Cure being one. Yeah, Disintegration era The Cure. Especially. I, I was going to mention Disintegration Era, The Cure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people like, uh, well, bands like Echo and the Bunnymen as well. Yeah. Uh, the Smiths. Yeah. Um, I think there's, a, there's there's two songs in the middle of the record uh, which are called Sunday Day 13 mm-hmm. and I'm Not Here, brackets, Missing Face, mm-hmm. um, which um, kind of remind me, played back-to-back those two songs, remind me of two... 
uh, back-to-back albums from Death Cab for Cutie. Ah. Um, to mention them again, and um, Sunday Day Thirteen kind of has that uh, that melancholic but ultimately quite bright yeah. feel of of Plans by Death Cab for Cutie, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm Not Here brackets missing face um has that um has that broodiness of narrow stairs mm. um i don't know if you're much of a death cab fan so uh, i don't know if i'm making if you can sort of uh validate you're my comparison there to revisit them i'm, I'm okay. familiar with them, okay yeah. fair enough um i think this album I, I really like it but in my opinion um it peaks way too early okay um I don't think it's particularly a long album. No. But my favourite song on this is actually the third track in. Uh, it's called The Arbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you were saying, they're creeping closer to our influences. Um, they have gone, on this track in particular, um, super uh, sort of evocative of Disintegration era cure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the singer, whose name I don't have written down at all... Uh, James Graham. Yeah, he goes full-on, gloomy, uh, like Morrissey on The Queen... Is, uh, there's a song on the, uh, the Queen Is Dead by The Smiths called I Know It's Over, mm-hmm. um, which is a heartbreakingly beautiful song, um, and he goes full-on Morrissey gloom uh, yeah. on the arbour. Um, and I think it's sensational. I think it's one of the best songs I've heard this year. Yeah. Um, just the, the sort of marrying of those influences from two iconic bands of that time, mm-hmm. but still sounding like their own, still yeah. sounding modern, Yeah. Um, not necessarily dated, and it does remind me of that Kyla Mikla record, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of wintry chill that kind of comes with yeah, it. Yeah, there is a really kind of chilly atmosphere. Yeah, um, certainly appropriate to come out in January, the yeah. the most depressing month of the year. To come out of Scotland as well, I think, yeah. not to <laughs> offend our Scottish um, audience. No, but that, but um, but yeah, there is something in that, you know. There, there's, there's a brightness, though, that kind of carries through as well in, in the synths. Yeah. But... It kind of makes me a little bit sad that they don't necessarily revisit that on the album for the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. And I kind of would have liked them to... I, it, it's it's good that it kind of works as like a standout track, mm-hmm. but I'd like to see them work with those vibes just a little more. Yeah. I think one influence that, that we've neglected to mention that I think comes to the fore on this record especially because they haven't been particularly electronic in the past oh okay That's something of a new oh. element it certainly hasn't been used as much as it is here well i'm really glad you um, said that because obviously... nine inch nails i think is a is something that Ooh. that creeps in on this record that okay. i don't think has always been there yeah um which is really interesting mm. and um obviously that kind of gloomy nature is something that that trent Reznor yeah shares as well I think the first track um is 10 good reasons for modern drugs is that the that's the yeah, yeah. song that's kind of got this this nine inch nails-esque mm. beat to it yeah i'm gonna go back and listen to some of the twilight sads earlier material mm-hmm. um have you got a particular recommendation or is it just the uh, one other album you've listened to um it's the one i know the most okay um 
they're quite hard to they're they're best kind of digested in small doses i think mm. because they are so unrelentingly miserable <laughs> but in the best way you mm. know um i'd maybe work your way backwards from this album yeah. you know backwards chronologically um that would be a good time mm. okay so that's the twilight sad and uh, it won't be like this all the time right so it's time to talk about um I I don't think we're going to have a single episode throughout 2019 which isn't going to feature um, a release from the brilliant Holy Raw Records, both our label of the year last year Mm -hmm. um, and at the moment our label of the year this year um, because they have brought out the uh, self-titled debut EP from a London singer-songwriter called A.A. Williams. Um, I know literally nothing about A.A. Williams beyond what I just told you. I'm not sure anyone does. She's sort of maintained a very elusive character up to this point. Obviously, we have these four songs that Mm -hmm. are now available online, and I bet these sound brilliant on vinyl as well. Um, I've kind of just given myself a little bit away there. as kind of building up to what I thought about this uh, this record, but I might as well just come out and say it. It's excellent. Um... Do you agree? Yeah. I know you do, yes. <laughs> um, well, it's holy raw, isn't it? Um, I was quite surprised that it's taken holy raw this time to, uh, you know, not to talk too much about holy raw and to, you know, talk more about the artist, but, you know, certainly you'd be quick to kind of look to that scene of brilliant female musicians, Emma Ruth Rundle, mm-hmm. Chelsea Wolfe. Yeah. Um bringing that sort of dark, ethereal, mm-hmm. semi-bluesy kind of feel to alternative music. Mm-hmm. Um, I think A.A. Williams does something different from all of those artists. So, yeah. And I think that makes her so exciting. Mm-hmm. Such an exciting proposition. It's a four-track EP, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. And I think it goes... In as many to as many places, certainly sonically, as that Emma Ruth Rundle record does. Mm-hmm. So Emma Ruth Rundle having twice as many songs on that On Dark Horses record, which came out last year, narrowly missing out on my top twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, but sonically, I just think this just goes to outstanding heights. Yeah. Um. How to follow that up? I think I've really, um, I've really gone in to start with on this one, haven't I? It has taken me a while. Uh, it has taken Holy Ro- surprised me how long it's taken Holy Raw to find their answer to yeah. to that that trend, I suppose. Because Holy Raw are not the uh, label to jump on trends no. very quickly, but. I'm really glad they um, found someone to represent that scene for them. Definitely, and I think you can see definitely um, what they saw in A.A. Williams. Holy Raw, if you listen to this and you don't know, which I find hard to believe, are kind of synonymous with very heavy music, Mm. fair to say. Very heavy bands. Very dense. Bands like Conjurer. Right, Who aren't on the label anymore, but, but definitely came... Ohms, Boscoloid, yep. Garganja. Mm. Peen as well. Peen, yep. Um, and um, 
There's something uh, There's something that Stephen Hill of the Riot Act podcast says. Shout out. Shout out. Um, said that, or quite often says, that metal doesn't have the monopoly on heaviness. Mm. You know, that other music's really capable yeah. of being heavy. And I think that's what I get from this EP. Mm. It's heavy in a completely different sense of the word. Yeah. And um, I think that means that she really fits on Holy Raw. Yeah. I think... I think this is far less oppressive Mm -hmm. than some of her peers. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes into more shoegazy territories. Yeah. And almost has like a brighter post-rock vibe to it. Yeah, I'd say so, uh, yeah. But I think it's still quite overbearing, if that makes sense. It and, is overbearing. And, and melancholic in, mm. in that sense, yeah. It is, but, you know, where someone like Chelsea Wolf, you're listening to that and it's almost like you're wading into a tar pit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one, and it is very evocative, in it's in, certainly in the album artwork of, you know, kind of mountains and beaches. Mm-hmm. It does feel like a huge sort of breath of of cold wintry air yeah you know it is evocative of winter much like that twilight sad record yeah and not unlike the holy fawn record in in Mm. some ways as well the kind of outdoorsiness of it sometimes Mm. spaciousness yes that's that's a great word i think um another word that i've got written down here is is kind of um enrapturing i think this ep kind of envelops you in it for the time that you mm. um if i have this on at work i find it very difficult to to carry on writing emails while it's on because it because i'm you become fully invested in yeah. it i think and you've got someone going brad do some fucking work <laughs> jesus man i've got somebody calling me brian on the emails oh no not again <laughs> um i think another thing as well is that you know, we were talking about her not being as oppressive as her peers, sonically, vocally as well. Mm-hmm. She has a hushed tone. Yeah. To uh, This is something that was again brought up by our good friends at Rytac Podcast. She is so damn quiet. Yeah. On this record, and it is so effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many artists can you say... Uh, so powerful through being so quiet not many it finds its power and its strength in other ways Mm -hmm. you know much like someone like tom york or or bjork Uh, tom york's a really really good Mm. comparison for this actually i think yeah or even the more sort of more palatable modern jazz singers people Mm -hmm. like melody uh, melody gardo or nora jones or God forbid, someone like Katie Melua or something like that. Um, it's my granddad's favourite. Oh, really? Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> my granddad. He won't be listening to this. No, it's cool. Well, maybe he might like A.A. Williams. Yeah, he might do. He might do. Sat, sat around the record player at Christmas with this one. <laughs> He's got all the Holy Raw. No, he hasn't. He's no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I've got a brilliant picture in my head now of you and your granddad just sat around listening to Conjurer. The rest of your family are just looking at you like absolute dickheads. Um, 
If only that was true. <laughs> <laughs> More conjurer, dear. <laughs> um, right, yeah, so A.A. Williams. I, I think I've said everything I need to say about this record. It's really spacious, mm-hmm. um, really cinematic. Yeah, and I think also it warrants hmm, repeat listens because it's deceptively kind of layered mm. and interesting, you know? And, yeah. And you will hear different things, different elements mm. in there because, as you say, it is so quiet. Yeah. It indicates so much promise off the, off oh, the back of four really songs. Does, yeah. Um, I hope she comes up with some more stuff this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we don't have to wait you know she could do amazing things with a, with a broader canvas I think For abs- absolutely for sure mm. so that's A.A. Williams and that's her self-titled EP which I don't know if we mentioned is out on Holy Raw <laughs> um, one more album to talk about and we will only talk about this one for a couple of minutes yeah. but I don't think we could have done a January special without mentioning uh, and this is a band we're going to be talking about again later in the year mm-hmm. uh, when they release uh, the Black Album in April uh, it's March. It's March. The first so, of March. I okay, believe. fantastic. So, um, Weezer. Mm-hmm. Her came out of nowhere, like Randy Orton with an RKO. Yep. It was the music equivalent of an RKO um, with the Teal album, um, an album of covers of songs that nobody wanted Weezer to cover, but they did it anyway, and Brad... How is it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, don't deny it. This is fucking excellent. Is that how you feel? Of course I do. Um, okay, maybe I'm sort of spaffing off here a little bit about it. But, you know, I think this obviously all started with them covering Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are moments on this album where it literally just sounds like Rivers Cuomo doing karaoke. Yeah. And they don't do anything different with the songs. In no. fact, at times, I think they kind of lessen the quality of these songs. Yeah. There um, is no cover on this that I would listen to over the original. Really? Really. I would argue that uh, their cover of Happy Together by the Turtles is very distinctly Weezer. It kind of reminds me of that song Gone Fishing that they did with the Muppets in the video, mm-hmm. uh, where they kind of go half pace on the half pace on the chorus. Mm-hmm. And I think the Teal album. I mean, I just have fun listening to this. Yeah, that that is the thing. It is fun. Also, just kind of let it sink in that this is whether you like it or not, Weezer's 12th studio album. Yeah. Like, it's part of the canon. It Ridiculous. <laughs> um, it, the phrase bubblegum album gets used quite a lot. Oh, okay. I yeah. don't think it's ever been more appropriate than now because when this dropped, kind of, when I found it at 9am in the morning, uh, it made me smile, it made me laugh. And 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 I did have great fun with it. The longer I kind of lived on it, or the like, the longer you chew on a piece of bubble gum, it actually gets quite disgusting. 
and you just want to <laughs> spit it out and you, you never want to put it back in your mouth. Oh my god, that's a song I want to hear Weezer cover. What? Spit it out by Slipknot. <laughs> yeah, on your own. Um, the more I kind of listened to this, obviously for the purposes of review, the more I kind of thought about A, how kind of pointless it is, B, actually, let me ask you a question. Danny Randon. Okay, yes, Brad Thorne. Do you think this album is cynical? Do you think this is a cynical move? I mean, I think... I think Weezer have constantly got everyone on tenterhooks. Mm-hmm. And for every brilliant album they give us... Why do I feel like you're avoiding the question? <laughs> Carry on, sorry. I think... Yeah, for, for every brilliant album they give us, they give us three absolute turds. Yeah. And... But I, say what you will about those turds, they are in some way kind of creative and, yeah. and different. They are polished turds. Yeah. Um, And they're never boring. No. No, you're right. Even if you do kind of go, well, this is just a bit rubbish and... Yeah. You know, quite weird in places. Mm, and silly, I think. Silly, yeah. yes, exactly, is a great word. Um, I'm wondering what you're saying about cynical is whether Weezer are kind of trying to soften the blow of uh, the inevitable blow of the Black Album and kind of makes me a little bit terrified to hear the Black Album because I think at this point all of their, their colour albums, so green, uh, or blue, obviously, yeah. red and white which I thought was particularly sensational, yeah, the best one since Green. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing beats Blue, obviously. Um, and we've heard the first couple of songs off of the Black Album. It doesn't bode well. It doesn't. <laughs> They're batshit, but not boring. No. I'm wondering whether this is something to just kind of go, look, we're going to be a bit of shit. But you're still going to love us because we're Weezer. That's one way to look at it. Another way is that when this came out, for better or for worse, it is the most I've seen people talking about Weezer in a long, long time. <sighs> does make me kind of sad, that. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where were they when the White Album came out? Yeah. Um, which I agree is a, is a really great... It's a record I still go back to <laughs> quite fantastic. a lot in the summer. What's your favourite cover on this? If you had to pick... Do you not like anything on this? Um, I think... I can't really pick a favourite, I don't think. This just does nothing for me. Past... I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle here. <laughs> it did give me a laugh when it came out. Mm. It, it was a laugh and I listened to it and... And it did definitely put a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had to kind of live with it and, and listen mm-hmm. to it more times. I don't really know. What's your favourite? Um, probably the Happy Together. And I also, as much as it's stupid that they didn't go for the vocoder at the end of it, mm-hmm. do love their Mr Blue Sky cover. <laughs> um I, I like the covers on this that sound distinctly Weezer as opposed to Rivers Cuomo just doing half-ass karaoke. Yeah. Um, but I had fun listening to it. And I think that's just 
the biggest thing that you can take away from the Teal album is it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we just need a little fun in our lives, Brad. Do Ch- we? Chin up, mush. <laughs> I'm just going to put the Twilight Sad on again. Oh, you miserable bastard. Right. Well, that is episode number one of the Bitchin' Review. Um, let's go quickly through all the albums that we went through today. So first off, we had Puppy and The Goat. Um, then we had... Oh, God, I've forgotten it already. Uh, then we had Fever 3 through 3, Strength in Numbers. Um, Press Club, Late Teens. Uh, Bring Me the Horizon and Armo. Um, Pedro the Lion and Phoenix. The Twilight Sad and It Won't Be Like This All the Time. A.A. Uh, A. Williams with self-titled EP, A.A. A. Williams. And Weezer with the Teal album. You look so livid at me right now. <laughs> but, um, no, thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, do be sure to subscribe uh, to Bitch and Brew on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, whatever platform you listen on. Uh, do uh, subscribe. Send us, uh, send us what you think of the Bitch and Review. We're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Brad, what's your Twitter? At Brad underscore Thorn. Go follow it for all the bants, all the gifts, all the <laughs> wrestling talk that's never happening on there. Um, and go and follow me at Bitchin Brewcast or at Danny underscore Randon as well. Um, we will be back in March mm-hmm. um, with some of the releases from February. Uh, so we get to talk about Ithaca. We get to talk about Spielberg's. Uh. It's going to be a good one. What else do we get to talk about? Oh, Year of the Knife. That came out yeah. all of a sudden. Um, oh, God. Loads of stuff coming yeah. out in February. It's going to be tough to whittle it down to another eight. But we will be back in March. Uh, stay tuned to the Bitch and Brew as well for some more cracking chats coming soon. Not going to tell you now. I'll tell you on social media. Go and uh, follow me on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we'll see you on the flippity the, the flippity floppity side the flip side the yep. the yeah. b side the... bye everyone bye <laughs>